Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, man. Hey, Jason. How, how are you? All right. I mean, we always ask, how are you, even though we've just spent the last couple of hours together. Well, we're letting people know that we are concerned about how we are each doing before, during, and after the podcast. Exactly. We're, we're creating a culture of kindness, man, always. That's it. That's it. Hey, um, we have Heather Hamilton on. This is her book, uh, yeah. Return to Eden, Returning Field to Guide. Eden. Returning to Eden, A Field Guide for the Spiritual Journey. And man, I think this could have been a two-parter. I mean, we may need to have her back, but... Uh, you know, some of the best conversation, and the conversation we had recorded is really good, but um, I don't think we probably are a little bit more at liberty, and we'd hit and stop, and we talked for another uh, 45 minutes, and I wish we'd recorded that. Uh, I but, think it's probably, it's probably because we name names, and we want to keep, <laughs> keep that out of the conversation. That's true. That's now true. everyone's going to be so curious as, oh, what are they talking about? <laughs> Get but, to know um, each other a little more. Yeah. But yeah, this book explains her experience of really a, a total breakdown, um, anxiety attacks and panic attacks that began to shape her view. And I'll let her tell the story because it's so good. But she wrote this book um, kind of rethinking the stories of the Bible through the lens of Jesus. And yeah. it really is a field guide for the spiritual journey. Yeah. And I, what I love about these conversations we have and the guests we continue to get to meet, the people we meet, is from different streams. I, I was unfamiliar with her. We heard you heard her podcast, uh, her on Jonathan Foster's podcast, right? But she's she really this book is really um, speaking to the delusion of separation, inviting us into this place of union. She talks about myth. Uh, but she's doing it. She's adding new language. Uh, it's more expansive language around this this invitation to awaken to our oneness. Yeah, uh, it's really awesome. That's the yep. starting point. Yeah. yeah. Well, the statement right here in the introduction, she said, "There's a comedic irony when salvation is found in your religion falling apart." <laughs> and so we <laughs> talked a little bit about that. And then yeah. just, you know, she said, my hermeneutic is based on the theory that the character of God has never changed, but the human understanding of God's character has. I think, I think our tacos listeners are just going to get so much out of this. And once again, if you dive into the book, it is going to resonate, I think, with yeah. your own story yeah. Yeah. in so many different ways and give you language. That's, that's another thing about Heather. She has wrapped language around this, which we're yeah. always looking for. You and I are always looking yeah. for new yeah. language. Yeah, that's that was I was going to say that she's a brilliant communicator, uh, mm -hmm. uh, spoken uh, just uh, in her sharing her story, but also on the page. Uh, it's it's another I felt like in many ways I was reading um, her version of leaving and finding Jesus in, in many ways, just um, so much grace. Uh, and so much invitation to this God who never leaves us. And we get there. We talk about the, the cross. We talk about Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Um, uh, this conversation is, is I think, going to be really life-giving. It was for me. So Me too. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, 
I, I don't know. What else we got to tell people? Uh, we, well, we uh, we are a listener-funded podcast, and well, yeah. uh, it really helps when you can give a donation, make a, a connection with partnering with us uh, for yeah, familystory.com. Familystory.org. If you go to familystory.org, you can make yeah. a make a donation there, and we've really seen an increase in people connecting financially. Yeah, and we just want to say thank you, thank yeah. you for your generosity. Yeah, thank you for your compassionate giving. Yeah. Um, you, you're never going to be uh, given a sob story or arm twisting because uh, <laughs> God's taking care of all the details of tacos and a family story. But uh, we really are thankful for those of you who have uh, joined us in that way, and we welcome you into that partnership. Yeah, you can go to familystory.org, also uh, sign up for the mailing list, which will keep you up with the podcast, uh, any books that are coming out. Uh, Derek's had a book recently come out. Uh, Yep. And you know what? Um, we'd love it if you would join our Facebook group. That's what I was going to say. And yeah, and invite some invite some friends along that you feel might um, need to experience this journey, this podcast. That that if that would help them, if you invite people to our Facebook page, which is Rethinking God with Tacos, it's yep. become quite a community. I mean, we're getting close to seven hundred people. I don't know at the rec- at this rec- when this recording drops, we'll probably have burst through that mark, but yeah. Um, it's a really great community and people are, are helping one another navigate, you know, not only their deconstruction, but their reorientation to the God of no separation to, to love as our primary objective. And they're connecting literally connecting in community. If they're in the same geographic area or just online, it's like, Hey, I have a friend that's, that's, you know, just in the next, uh, next County over the, You know, a little bit across the channel in England yeah, or Germany. Cool. Um, an inordinate number of Scandinavians have yeah. joined our, uh, and those from Denmark and all over Australia, New Zealand. I mean, I know. this community is all over the world. It's a, it's a beautiful thing, man. We're going to have to take it on the road at some point, figure that out. Yeah. Also, uh, we, de- we have a Rethinking God with Tacos Instagram now, which my daughter's helping us run maddie she's doing a great job yeah so check we that had, out we had to hand instagram off to the the younger generation yes jason and i just aren't, aren't any good at it <laughs> and she's she's killing it and helping us do that and of course i'm i stick we stay connected there too so appreciate you guys being on the journey uh with us and uh i think you're really going to be encouraged by this conversation with heather hamilton Yeah, cool. <laughs> and I did the five four. That countdown always gets things serious. Now, yeah, yeah oh god, okay, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> but this well, is good. Heather, thanks so much for being on uh, Tacos. Jason and I are excited to have this conversation with you. I'm just going to hold your book up for everyone to see here. Uh-huh. Returning to Eden. There it field is. Guide for the spiritual <laughs> journey. Um, yeah, I'm loving this book, and we want to dive into it. But first, we want to we want to hear a little bit about your story and uh, introduce yourself to our tacos audience. Yeah, well, I really like. I think that tacos slash Tex Mex is our favorite food. My <laughs> husband and I are both originally from Texas, so uh-huh. we just have a yeah. We would eat it. We probably do eat it like three times a week. Us <laughs> too. Yeah. So um, anyway, yeah. M- my name is Heather Hamilton. I'm um, 
live in Atlanta, Georgia with my husband and three kids. And I'm the author of um, this book called Returning to Eden, a field guide for the spiritual journey. Yep, there it is. I got here, here, I'll do mine to double time. Um, Jason's going to hold his book up. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Later. Yeah. And um, I'm trying to figure out what else would be important to say um, at the moment. I mean, that, that's probably it. We can like get into more of my story. Um, but yeah. 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 And uh, the, the podcast I listened to recently that you were on, you shared a little bit about kind of being a part of that, that mega church culture. Mm -hmm. um, you actually went back and started at age seven at, a, at the Georgie you know, camp where you learned about heaven and hell and, mm -hmm. you know, be began to enter into that context that a lot of us grew up in. Mm -hmm. Um, but then how all, everything came crashing down. And I think mm -hmm. the thing that impacted me the most in hearing your story was when your husband had to make the nine one one call mm -hmm. and you just had this shift in your thinking and your, your mm -hmm. thought process. Maybe you could share a little bit about that. Are you okay with that? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it's funny. Uh, I, I write about it in, in the introduction. Um, but it is, it's strange, like sharing about it. Like every time I talk about it, I'm like, Ooh, this is like, I don't know how it's going to sit with people, you know, like the reception yeah. has been pretty good so far, but, um, yeah. So we were, we were both very involved in, um, like mega church kind of environment here in Atlanta. Um, and, that, I mean, in the South, like if you go to church, yeah, I mean, it's probably a similar story for everyone. You're just like saturated in this ecosystem, you know? So that started when I was probably seven years old at this um, vacation Bible school is, you know, very typical, like heaven or hell. And here's this Jesus figure. And do you want to say yes? And it's like, yes, I do. Like I felt a very like pure, genuine, like I think that's the, like, I just felt a yes, like in my heart and soul. And like, there was a lot of other, like, you know, dialogue about the decision that I was making. Um, but that is, that word is kind of still like what resonates, um, about my memory of that experience. Um, and so, yeah, I, I had that very like genuine spiritual yes, like to following that path. And then, um, you know, something I, I don't know if it's like unique, but um, for I think a lot of people who deconstruct kind of feel like, you know, my family drug me to church and I didn't have a choice in it. You know what I mean? It was like, this is just what we did. And it yeah. actually wasn't like that in my family. Um, I was like, I, I think I got invited to something called Awana's, which was like a Wednesday yeah. night memorized yeah. Bible verse thing. Yep. And I loved it so much that then I. I started like taking like the church bus on Sunday morning. So like this bus would come pick me up. Um, and then I think me and my sister, and then we would, it, it would take like an hour, you know, to like get to church and pick up all the other kids. And like, we would just do that on Sunday mornings. And then yeah. eventually like my parents started coming. And I think my dad like tells this funny story. Like he would dr like drop us off at Sunday school and then him and my mom would go to Waffle House. <laughs> and and then I finally figured it out one day. Like when I came out, I was like, you're not parked in the same place. Like, where's our car, <laughs> you know? And so then they were like, oh, maybe we should come instead of like tell our kids that we're not in the big service, you know? Right. 
So anyways, I, I was always just like, you know, let's go to church. I'm like dragging everybody to church. And then we moved around a lot. And I was always like, I got to find my youth group, you know? Um, so this kind of just continued where this, you know, the, the church environment was where I wanted to be like, and, you know, getting into the mega church world, of course, like that just kind of opens you up to more diverse viewpoints and more diverse people. Like I wouldn't have called the, it was an evangelical mega church. So it wasn't, um, like progressive in theology or anything, but we just, it felt like a progressive environment in that there were like all the people, all the kinds of people that were there, you know? Yeah. So, so my, disposition to that was always like, I, I sort of had my very conservative theology, like locked in, in my head, but in terms of like reaching out to people and helping them feel included and all that stuff, I was like, why wouldn't we be be doing that? You know? Um, so anyway, um, that was kind of the mode we were in. And then about five years ago, I had just had our third kid who was about 10 weeks old and um, essentially, I, I'll i be a little bit vague about this, but I it was sort of this like divine opening in the portal of my life where all of a sudden um, I, for the very first time, like confronted um, some past trauma that I had that I had never, I didn't even know what trauma was, like, right. <laughs> like no clue that this was really like affecting anything about my life. And all of a sudden I, it just like confronted me so, um, powerfully and starkly that it just triggered this nervous breakdown where I sort of, for the first time in my life got thrust into this like fight or fight mode that would not turn off. And I was just having these like persistent panic attacks, um, which, and I know a lot of people struggle with panic attacks, but I had never. And then suddenly it was like multiple times a day, like just completely arrested by this. Um, And so just really over the course of a few days, I went from like very put together, you know, American Christian, you know, uh, I've done all the right things. Successful. Yes. God's quote unquote, like blessed us. We've done all the right steps. And like, that's why our life is what it is to literally like, I am the only thing that will calm me down is like popping Xanaxes. Like I had never, it was just such a wild swing. Um, and And I had been in therapy at this point for like 15 years, you know, just like when something would come up, I I had like a great relationship with my therapist. Um, And at that time, all I really knew was that like talk therapy, that's what I thought that therapy was. Right. And I was like, I've already done that for 15 years. And this, what I'm experiencing right now is so past, like what that could help me with that. It was just like, I had no idea what to do. And I felt like if I ask for help, the only option is going to be going to like a psychiatric facility, which absolutely terrified me because I had this little baby. And I'm like, I I can't ask for help because I think I'd be separated from my kids. So anyways, it was just like, you know, several days of me trying to like 
pull myself together and just not being able to, to do it. And it was the first time in my life where I was like, oh, I'm understanding like addiction. I'm understanding like for the first time, like people who, you know, whose nervous systems are so dysregulated and there right. just seems to be like no way to really like fix it, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, and so it was several days of like not sleeping, having this nervous breakdown that I was also like, I still kind of had my mind about me. I'm like, I, I can see what's happening from a 30,000 point view, but I can't fix it. And so, um, and then when you're having like back-to-back -back panic attacks like that, you start literally panicking about having panic attacks. Like, right. you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so anyways, it was just a huge mess. And, you know, I was keeping my husband awake, you know, like, so he wasn't sleeping, I wasn't sleeping. And then there was this one night where, you know, I woke up in the middle of the night and I felt it coming on again. And I was like, I'm just going to go down to my basement and try to ride this out because I've woken him up, <laughs> you know, like so many nights. Um, so, so I go down there and I'm just like crying out to God, you know, like, please help me. I don't understand what's happening. And it, and I, I just had this moment of like, um, it's, it's like very hard to explain, but it was this moment of just complete darkness of feeling like totally untethered out in space, like yeah. just, um, floating <laughs> in a sea of terror and realizing nobody's coming to get me. Like whoever mm -hmm. I'm calling out to isn't here. Like it, it was, it was just like, whatever I thought might happen in a moment like this isn't happening slash, I don't think it exists and shit, there. you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so at this point I knew like, I can't live like this. Um, again, it was kind of this sobering thing where I had never had like suicidal ideation, but it more felt like I found myself like trapped in a electric chair of this emotional and psychological pain that I yeah. couldn't turn off. And I, I, it just was like, I can't live my life in a, in a ongoing panic attack. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so I went upstairs and, you know, I told my husband like, Jared, I need help. And that was essentially, and you know, I was like, I need you to call 911. And that yeah. was essentially me surrendering to like going to a psychiatric facility. Cause I was a hundred percent sure that that is what was going to happen. Right. So, um, the paramedics showed up and we opened the door. And as soon as the woman across from me, like starts speaking to me, I immediately recognized that she was transgender. And again, we're in this conservative area. I'm in this really conservative worldview. So th this was like, just so unexpected for me um, to encounter someone that I suddenly like realized, oh, I don't know if I trust you to help me because sure. I'm the one who's supposed to be helping you, you know, like I'm the Christian. I got the with, answer. Yeah. With the truth. <laughs> and and I, I sort of, again, it's like, you're in the moment and I'm also like observing myself. I'm seeing this interaction like I'm in it in real time, but also seeing it from this 30,000 foot view where I'm realizing, oh, I, I have sort of this savior complex where 
I, you know, I have the truth. I'm supposed to be helping people like you. Right. And I'm realizing that I don't know how to ask for help. I don't know how to receive help. And then right. in the receiving of help, I'm going, oh, I don't know if I trust anyone outside of my little group of Christians who think like me. So um, anyway, I but there's nothing else to do in this moment except for just start word vomiting what's happening. Right. And, and as I'm doing that, for the first time in, in that whole week that this was happening, I felt like that this woman saw me for the first time, like knew exactly what I was talking about and kind of personally divulged that she had experienced like the, a similar thing. And, you know, I had been, you know, my husband had been trying to understand what was going on. Some different people, you know, that I was explaining this to, but it's like, they just weren't getting it. And this woman was like for yeah. the first time. And as soon as I felt like mirrored by her with, with su in such a pristine and precise way and with the amount of compassion that she had for me while I was judging her, you know what right. I mean? Like right. I'm projecting this judgment and she is just loving me. And it, um, my experience suddenly like transformed into this moment of like time collapsing and falling away. And I felt like just immersed in this bubble or presence that I immediately recognized as Christ. Yeah. You know, I had been in my, in church my whole life, like learning about Jesus, talking about G like, you know, where is G like, you're always trying to like nail down what it is and right. you're talking about it all, all this stuff I had heard. And suddenly it was like, that thing is staring me in the face. Like whatever I had been searching for my whole life, suddenly I was like looking at the truth. And so, um, this in my book, like it took me probably several months to even find language for what I had experienced, you know, in church I had had lots of like, quote unquote, spiritual experiences, um, really emotional highs and all that kind of thing, which I thought, you know, like, this is God, or this is God telling yeah. me to do something or whatever. Yeah. But this experience was so, um, it was unique and distinct. And, and later I, um, came upon like the language, like a mystical experience. And I was like, that's what it was. Like, right. that was the closest descriptor that I could get to it. So that was, really like the shift that happened, um, like the shifting event in my life where I saw Christ in this body that was totally unexpected for me. Right. But also in that moment, I, I felt Christ like wake up within me, like <laughs> this presence that had yeah. always been there. It was like waking up from amnesia where it was like a first time experience. And then also like, no, I've, I've, this is like something from another life, you yeah. know, that yeah. was just like all colliding at one time. And so, yeah, it, it like uprooted the access of my old worldview and like replanted it around what had happened in this experience and how it changed the way that I started to see things. Um, so yeah, that was like the event. And then it was months after that of therapy I did not end up going to a psychiatric right. facility. This woman actually like encouraged me not to come with them instead it, in another sort of like 
divine synchronicity. Like my husband got on the phone with our therapist and she's like, this never happens. Somebody just canceled. Like, can you be here in two hours? And it was like, yeah, we can be there. And, you know, again, like I had been with my therapist for 15 years and this was like the first time where I get in there, I'm word vomiting again. And she's like, stop talking. She hands me this, these little paddles that like vibrate, <laughs> like alternate. And I came to figure out like she had been trained in EMDR, EMDR. in the past yeah. year. Yeah. 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 And so I did like six months of that and that was totally life changing. And so it was just kind of insane how everything kind of just fell into place, like right at the moment when I needed it. Um, so anyway, I did like five or six months of that trauma therapy. And then at the same time, like it really, you know, kicked off this whole process yeah. of reorganizing my yeah. theology. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Re rethinking, reimagining mm -hmm. uh, cognitive dissonance being yes. discovered throughout all these different places. The, the theme I, I love, uh, the way that I put language around this is cause I've, I've shared my story, uh, much mm -hmm. like you, um, my journey, uh, through maybe however you want to describe it, the dark night of the soul, but that, yes. but the way I would describe it and you actually, you, you did a really good job, but I also quoted it here. So you, uh, and that I imagined down in that basement, you said, um, I felt like nothing. My soul felt absent, uh, absolute abandonment and alienation. The image of God I had carried with me was vaporized. In my most desperate hour, as I was crying out for God, there was nothing, no comfort, no presence, no nothing. And I, that resonated with me because um, my story is one in which uh, growing up in the charismatic church, uh, I, I did have a lot of mystical experiences and mm -hmm. was quite comfortable with those. But I still had a moment where in a conversation with God, and I won't go into it in detail, but to, to progress the conversation, because I've shared it many times on the, on the podcast. But I had, I had my Heavenly Father come to me and say, hey, I'm going into hiding. I'm removing all your friends. And then for the next two years, I felt no, no presence, no nothing. And it was, it was a complete um, anomaly. It didn't make sense even with what I understood about who God is, that he doesn't mm -hmm. leave you, that he doesn't forsake you. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, I, I had a moment much like yours uh, with a, it was just a mystical tap turns on. And I would have described it this way. I would say it, it was like rediscovering my native tongue mm -hmm. as though I was, I was being, I was being born again, obviously is great language for it. I, I often refer to that moment as my salvation mm -hmm. experience, even though at five, mm -hmm. I have a, a beautiful moment with, with, uh, with Jesus and my mom at the, at the, uh, uh dining room table or excuse me, the coffee table. I love how you talk about the church. I love how there's so much grace about your journey. Um, you have a similar story to my wife. We've come into the same place. I'm getting to a question. Mm -hmm. No, I'm like loving. I'm like, yeah. Your story reminds me, <laughs> a few years back, my wife, she used to talk about how she got saved. Mm -hmm. And it goes like this. At five years old, uh, on a Sunday morning, after church, she got in the car between her grandmas in the back seat and began to have a panic attack. And it was so bad that they turned the car to the hospital. She's never had a panic attack before or after, mm -hmm. but at five years of, of age, she was having a panic attack. She thought she was going to die and she bursts out in the back seat. I want to know Jesus. I want to, and so 
she gets saved. She says the prayer in the back seat between her grandmas and the panic attack subsides mm -hmm. and they turn away from the hospital and they head home. And it's a small miracle. And, and for the rest, for the next 40 years, my wife would talk about it kind of when that conversation comes around about how you got saved. She would talk about it as though it was a cute experience. Mm -hmm. And then five, six years ago, we began to rethink it. And we thought there's nothing cute about this because that day she'd been taught about hell. And the only panic attack she ever had was in the back seat between her grandmothers when she realized that eternal conscious torment was a part of this um, story somehow. And those people were doing their level best to love her in that mm -hmm. moment. Um, and she grew up in a loving family, very similar to you in that she wanted to do what was right. She loved Jesus and she mm -hmm. raised her kids. Um, but five years ago, we began to unwrap that particular story. And I'm, I'm curious, some of the traumas, because for me, it's this, you can't have intimacy where there isn't trust and where he isn't always good, you can't trust him. Mm -hmm. And so some of the trauma that I think is implicit within the church today is connected to this horrific thought that is woven into the very beginning of our yes to Jesus mm -hmm. that includes mm -hmm. a God who says, I, I, I really love you. And if you don't love me back, yeah. You know, uh, yeah. there's a, there's a whole lot of hell waiting for you. And, um, do you see that some of that trauma was even aspects of your, your misunderstandings about who God was, or how do you feel like that played a role in that moment? So personally for me, the trauma that I was dealing with, um, was, was more of, um, it didn't have to do with the church. Okay. It was, um, yeah, it was part of like my really like personal story that when confronted with it, it almost like, um, it was almost like realizing that I was traumatized was a trauma in its own. Like that, that just, that's what triggered like the identity crisis. Whereas okay. I think sometimes for people who, um, maybe have like a history with addiction or something like that, they're sort of um, working their way through their story, like in, in the midst of trying to recover from that, you know what I mean? It, like, why am I drinking for instance, you right. know? And then if right. you're working with it there, like you have this unhealthy behavior that you can then go and try to figure out like what's, what's causing this. Um, I hadn't ever dealt with any of that. So sort of like the big reveal of realizing like, Oh my God, like a lot of my, um, good behaviors, you know, wanting to be pleasing, wanting to be this good girl, I realized were these gigantic coping mechanisms right. for, for yeah. a trauma that I hadn't I realized. That. Yeah. Right. And so it, in fact, like a lot of my coping mechanisms were very celebrated, you know, right. um, where just like the, yeah, like in the church, it's like, oh, you know, like serving is great for everybody, you know? So like, <laughs> I'm like willing to serve and like, just, give of all my time and, and everything, you know, is like very applauded. Like, look at what a great example she is. You know what I mean? And, and so I kind of talk about in the book, like parsing out like wheat from the weeds. Like we, you know, I was taught that that means like, oh, you know, all the wheat are the people that go to heaven and like the weeds are everything that gets everybody who goes to hell and gets thrown in the fire. And to me, this was what, what I kind of discovered was that these wheat and weeds, you know, like Jesus says, like, you know, no, 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 don't pull out all the weeds yet, like, let it all grow up. And yeah. so it's 
to me that the, that's like symbolism for these internal things that you allow to grow, you know, like, um, let it all grow up. And then, then you can parse out internally, like, okay, what, what in me is doing these actions for the quote unquote right reasons versus what am I doing here to like earn the adoration and praise of the people around me? Like what part of this is an ego project, you know? Right. Right. And so actually like learning how to say like, no, I don't want to do that. You know, <laughs> I don't want to pick up chairs after the service because I'm tired <laughs> and I have three kids at home. You know what I mean? And, yeah. but even just being able to say like, I don't want to do it. Um, was like an exercise in me, like weeding out, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, what was yeah. unhealthy in me, but yeah. to get back to your question, um, so that, yeah, that, um, that part of that you read from the book where it was like, there was no nothing, everything evaporated. It was really like a, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me kind of yeah. moment? Like it yeah. felt like that. Yeah. Um, and for me, in that moment, I realized that I was in hell, like whatever that meant. Of course, I had also been taught, you know, this is like a fiery eternal conscious torment sure, or whatever. Sure. And in that moment, I knew, no, this is what it is. Like, even yeah. as you're like describing that moment that your wife had at five, I'm like, yeah. no, like she was in hell, like yeah. in, you know what I mean? Um, yeah that like descent in the, to this psychological terror. Um, and so sort of instantaneously, like, uh, of course I kind of had like to deconstruct it, put language on it or whatever, but I just knew, um, kind of like you were saying, I thought I was saved quote unquote at seven, but then sure. as I was experiencing this, I was like, no, this feels like a rebirth. Like yeah. I'm seeing, it's like, I've like, come out of this womb, you know, where I'm seeing things for the first time, stuff that had always been there, but it's like, I'm seeing it for the first time. Yeah. Um, so I, it was like, Oh, I think that this is what Jesus was talking about. Um, so that concept of it being eternal conscious torment really dissolved quite quickly because I was like, no, I've been there. And that's not what it is, right. you know? Yeah. But, al but also I kind of recognized like, a little bit later in the book, I talk about um, like this process of, um, you know, life, death, transformation, like like a caterpillar who, you know, has to go into its cocoon to become a butterfly. But like what happens in a cocoon is that caterpillar, like it literally its body melts, you know. Right. So like the essence of the insect stays the same the whole time. Like it's the same thing. There's just um, this complete dissolution of form before it can transform into its next thing. Of course, like the caterpillar doesn't have a rational brain like us, because if it did, I'm like, that sounds like a pretty hellish experience, you know? Yeah. So if yeah. you could just imagine all the little caterpillars going like whatever whatever you can do, like avoid the cocoon, you know, because, <laughs> because our little buddies go in there and then we never see them again, you know, right, yeah. right. it's this it. awful experience. <laughs> and I kind of feel like that is what we're doing. Like, that's kind of what we teach in the church, like avoid this, you know, avoid this inferno of transformation and kind of recognizing like that this is 
it is a psychological burning away of everything that's not real and it, and not true and it's very painful but i think the thing that i recognized in the experience um and and this is really like the thrust of the book was recognizing that these stories were patterns like it was re symbolically revealing these patterns of transformation so when i was in that moment i I, I, th I had a thought to myself, I was like, this is what the Jonah and the whale story is about. Like right. this, what I'm experiencing is the belly of the whale. Yeah. I, I sort of knew that intuitively. Um, and it was like, suddenly I was really interested in that story again. Like right. I was going back to it, reading, you know, where Jonah says out of the belly of hell, I cried. Right. And I'm like, why did nobody point out to me? That he's like, I'm in hell, you know, and then he comes out of hell. He's like birthed out of the belly of hell. You know, yeah. I'm like, yeah. that's, that's a different story than, you know, if you don't pray this prayer, you're going to burn forever. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I'll throw this one thought at that, Derek, because I, that fascinating, I became fascinated with the, that story um, mm -hmm. because I, for for something else that I, I see a parallel with what you're sharing. Um, where did the hell start? Well, it started almost in this in this place where God says, hey, I'm better than you think I am. I actually really love these people you hate. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I want to set you free from that. So mm -hmm. I'm going to invite you into a, a journey where the only way through it is to see them the way I see them. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it's probably going to be hell. <laughs> For me, when I when I realized that what what was happening was that the, that he was actually wrestling with his own um, his own bigotry and his own uh, hate and his and and his own pain because of mm -hmm. course the people that have deeply oppressed his people for a long time and and that the journey through was actually coming into an agreement with. Um, with our father's perspective, mm -hmm. I, I find that to be a fascinating part of that story as well. Yeah, yeah, well, and and it has a direct parallel to, you know, Jesus saying, you're going to see the sign of Jonah, you know, and it's the exact same pattern. And you're like, why is he talking about a whale? You know, <laughs> what what is what is this about? And it makes no sense if you believe that that story is literal, you know, yeah, sure. um, but to what you're saying it, you know, in the story, it, while he's hanging on the cross he's it's like he's literally seeing through the eyes of god so there was this shift for me where i had spent my whole life sort of metaphorically like at the foot of the cross like looking yeah. up at jesus yeah as like you know please save me please rescue me whatever and this was a moment of i feel like i'm on my cross now and it was exactly what you said where yeah. I, it, the shift was from looking up at jesus to seeing through the eyes of Jesus, you know? Yeah. And, and how we totally kind of missed that in church, you know? And then right. the story talks about like, he's three days in the heart of the earth. And so it's this transformative process where, you know, after that we see him again and it's like, you, you recognize God is looking through the eyes of this man. And that was that was what my experience was. It was like, I feel like God is l experiencing the world through my eyes. And I can say that now because it was like, I was seeing everyone with compassion, you know? 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where in the ways that like I had been hurt yeah. or, you know, had been oppressed or whatever, yeah. it really was um, sort of this simultaneous like, okay, I need to deal with how that affected me. You know, I need to have my own human experience about it. Mm. And also I need to hold on to that 30,000 foot view where it's like, I forgive them because they don't know what they were doing. Like that, that literally was my personal story where I knew, you know, I was hurt in this way and this person has no idea. Yeah. Like has no idea how, what my experience was, you know, and it really was a matter of ignorance, which, (laughs) which is like, you know, I think I think that that is the key and that is what is so difficult for us to get our minds around, especially and I mean, even more so, I think I have experienced this as a foothold where people get stuck, like when they leave Christianity or become a part of the deconstruction movement or whatever. It's it's this thrust on like, you know, we have to hold the church accountable. You know, we have to have to point out every way where it's getting it wrong, da, 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 da. And it's like, you, you, you kind of see what happened clearly. And so you have to want to blame something. And it's almost like we tell ourselves, if this didn't happen, I wouldn't feel the pain that I was feeling, that I am feeling. Yeah. And I think for me, I realized that that was a trap. Um, I'll give you an example of, um, uh, of something a little bit different. My husband has had um, Hodgkin's lymphoma he had to go through chemotherapy last fall. Um, and he was only 40 at the time. But when we first found out about it, um, it's like a, a his kind is like a very slow growing cancer. So our first confrontation with this was like nine years ago. I was like 29 or something. You know, I'm like, whose husband gets cancer before? You know, I'm like, we're like barely in our 30s. And this time around, like, with the new perspective that I had, it was, there was nothing to blame for the pain that I was feeling, for the fear that I was feeling. It was, you know, yeah, there's cancer, but I could also just kind of see it as like, what, you know, what is cancer? Like, it's just cells that are looking for a favorable host to grow. Like, it's like, you know, they're not in there going like, I want to kill you. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's an amoral kind of thing. It's just part of nature that has kind of gotten out of control, but has, is causing all this like fear and and pain in my life. But I, I think it was this kind of experience where there wasn't anyone to blame for what was happening. It was just this baked in experience of suffering that is part of life. And I think that that is very, very difficult for, for us to really like accept and bring into the fold that like, sometimes there's suffering that we can alleviate. And then sometimes like it's, it is part of, of the deal and, and this willingness to kind of say yes to it and be expanded by it and let it you know, transform you into this more expansive person. I think that that is very, very difficult to, to do when you're trapped on, on blame where it's like, Mm -hmm. 
if this hadn't happened, then I wouldn't be feeling pain as if you yeah. could have avoided this yeah. in your yeah. life. And I think that the truth is, is that at some point, even if it's not until you're on your deathbed, you are going to come face to face with like the suffering of the world, just like Jesus did, you yeah. know? Yeah. And so it, I had this perspective shift of like, okay, I'm getting, I'm getting this reality check sooner than later. Like, so let's not waste it. <laughs> Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Man, uh, Derek, um, I love doing this with you. Love uh, what God is doing uh, in and through our lives, the connection, the reconnection over these last years. Uh, what... The, the favor in life on on rethinking God with tacos, whether it's the Facebook group uh, or the Zoom calls and the, the ones we have in the future, just uh, life giving and a, a fulfillment of the vision that I had nine years ago when we stepped away from pastoring full time to start a family story ministries. A family story ministries was meant to create content catalytic for an encounter with the love of God. I mean, it was that simple. And and uh, and it was very empowering for me to then lean into writing, lean into obviously uh, speaking and teaching, uh, and and led to the start of this podcast almost five years ago. A family story is a nonprofit, and it's um it's been uh, the home for for me for nine years as we've leaned in. And so and I remember you saying uh, coming out of COVID that hey guys we started a podcast. And you, you and Sarah were one of our earliest guests. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and it definitely is content that is catalytic for an encounter with the love of God. Uh, we've yeah. experienced that by joining forces together. Yeah. Uh, but I want I want all of our listeners to know that this is a listener funded podcast. And uh, rethinking God with Tacos has kind of taken on a life of its own in the umbrella of a family story. But a family story is. Your livelihood, Jason. Um, I, I get a salary from the church that I pastor, and uh, I, I donate my time and volunteer my time to do this. But I want everybody to know that uh, you can give to make Rethinking God with Tacos available to as many people as we can possibly make it available to. If, it, if this podcast has in any way uh, blessed you, helped shape your rethinking journey, and been a safe place to experience community on the Facebook page, then I, I invite you to uh, to give, not out of compulsion or arm twisting, no. but out of uh, out of joy and yeah. generosity. Uh, give into a family story. You can do it at a family There's a giving function on there, and, and we invite you into partnership with us. It's a way that we can partner together establish the kingdom of God through this podcast. Uh, and I love doing it with you, Jason. I really do. Yeah. yeah. Same here, man. Thank you. So grateful uh, for those who have given and who, who bless us and, and have prayed for us and partnered with us over the years. So love it. Love doing this with you. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll see you all soon. Yeah. 
No, so so well said, Heather. Yeah. For, I mean, I want to go back to something and just applaud you for bringing this up because I I really hadn't seen this this way until you said it. But uh, and churches are notorious for it for using people who mm-hmm. want to get their accolades and their love and their acceptance from God through serving the church. Mm-hmm. And man, there's more than enough room for you to come in here and do everything we need you to do for free, by the way. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And you get to pay tithes. Um, but you know, they get used that way because they haven't had their yes from God. Like Jesus did at his baptism when it was like, Hey, this is my beloved kid in whom I'm well pleased. Hadn't done anything yet. Mm -hmm. And I think until we get that, God is pleased with me. God Mm -hmm. loves me unconditionally. I I can't do anything that would make him love me greater until we get that and grab hold of that. Because that's what religion is. Religion loves to earn and, you know, get this. And what you said about suffering, I think is so insightful because suffering can either take you to a place of horrific cynicism or to a deep, deep place of compassion. I have a, a similar situation that young in life, age 25, my first wife was killed by a drunk driver when she was seven mm. months pregnant and oh we'd only been married a year and the baby, you know, was, you know, killed. She was killed. And here I am, 25, wondering what I did wrong to cause this. Mm -hmm. Religion is telling me, the context I was in at the time was telling me, well, you must have opened the door to the devil or God has some... I didn't blame God for it because I didn't think God causes steal, kill, and destroy, but I still have that concept of like, well, he allowed it to pass Mm -hmm. through his hands for some higher purpose. And you wrote this in the introduction. You said, there's a comedic irony when salvation is found in your religion falling apart. Mm -hmm. And so that... That happened to me later on, actually moving to Charlotte, planting a church, and then dealing with this thing of like, wait a second, if God could have prevented it and he didn't, then screw him. I don't want anything to do with that God. And I began to leave religion. But but the thing that I found myself settled on, because I, I literally burned the whole theological house down. I literally yeah. burned it down while pastoring. And I found myself in the ashes and the cold, you know, darkness of that moment. Mm-hmm. And when the man, when the wind of the spirit blew and the ashes blew away, I'm like, I'm standing on this cornerstone named Jesus. I'm still connected to Jesus. And now I'm going to have to redefine everything about letting him tell me what God is like. Mm-hmm. And then you bring that out in the book as well. Um, I'm so glad we got into Jonah and the whale story in from your book, because that was one I had highlighted, Mm -hmm. but you said this, my hermeneutic is based on the theory that the character of God has never changed, but that the human understanding of God's character has to put it plainly. I look for Jesus in every Bible story. And then you quote Brian Zahn that God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There's never been a time when God was not like Jesus. We haven't always known this, but now we do. And I I find that that's the place I get the most traction with people is to just bring them back to like Jesus as perfect theology. But until you dismantle that religious um, earning it framework and, and realize the unconditional love of God. And I love that you saw the face of Jesus in this transgender paramedic. And it's like, it shifted something. You, I mean, what other ways, and this is what your book is really all about. Have you been rethinking God with this new hermeneutic that Jesus is, is perfect theology? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that my previous understanding of God, which, and I will say this just for a second to kind of like riff on what you're saying. Obviously, um, yeah, there, there's some places where it's like the church theology, it's just, it feels flat out wrong to me, you know, now, but I also have this understanding where I'm like, nobody is coming out of the womb enlightened, you know, like we're all starting at zero and there's these different levels of human development where, you know, if, if someone had, well, I've got like a 10 year old right now. And I like listen to conversations like this all the time while we're in the car, you know, and she doesn't know what we're talking about, (laughs) you know? Like, like we've, I, we've kind of, we've, I feel like we have more productive conversations about God, but she said, you know, like, mom, I kind of just picture God like this. Like, I know he's not a man, but that's how I think about it in my head. And I'm like, that's fine. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like you're eight, nine, 10 or whatever. And there's just, um, there's just certain developmental levels that, you know, the, what we're, the conversation we're having right now just wouldn't make sense, you know, at, at different levels. And so again, it's more about understanding like the process of human development and kind of understanding like, okay, the church collectively is maybe just still at this level of understanding that, you know, what, what we're saying just wouldn't make sense to someone until they have their own moment of grace. Like, like to me, I'm, you know, in the book, like I try to be artful about it, like hope, hopeful that, you know, maybe someone's perspective could change, but I don't see like a lot of fruit in trying to like rationally argue about it because in my experience, like there was, there was like the castle and the castle wall and anything that contradicted my worldview like just the gate did not come down for that, you know? And so it really had to be like sort of this divine intervention that shifted things for me, you know? So there's like participation in the process and then kind of also realizing there's nothing that I can actually do to like, you know, shift someone's perspective. Um, But yeah, so it's, I I was going to, um, to what you were saying about like people find like trying to fill this void in religion and service and, and all that kind of thing. Like I sort of see the same religious impulse in more progressive spaces sure. where it's like, yeah. if you want to give yourself to an activist community, yeah, well, mm-hmm. they're going to, they're going to suck you for all your worth. And, and you know what I mean? Like you can empty yourself and come out completely <laughs> feeling burnt out and used and all the same things. Like, in just a different context. So, you know, to me, it's like, there's like the critique of that, but then also going like, why did I say yes? Like I signed up for all of it, you know, like what, what was it in me that was walking into an environment with this giant hole that needed to be filled? So it's like, there's like the self-responsibility part of it that is like way less fun, you know, to talk about or whatever, but I'm like, hello. Um, but yeah, so Derek, back to your question, like in that moment, I, I think that the old, I like to call it the God concept now, 
um, my old God concept died where I, where I envisioned God as, as a being that was outside of myself that I was separate from like this illusion of separation. And to go back to the Jonah and the whale story, it was more recognizing that I was in the womb of God, that I was like a baby in utero searching for its mother, you know, where I'm like, I'm literally in my mother swimming around and also like suffering because I'm like, where is she? You know? And so I I felt like that I was kind of birthed into this new consciousness that I was like swimming around in the ocean of God and that I was part of that ocean, like a wave or something, you know, like a wave that comes up. That singular thing isn't the ocean itself, but it is connected to it, you know, like where... Where is it going to go? Yeah. <laughs> That's not part of the ocean. <laughs> so it was, um, I kind of started to, to see like Christ in all things, yeah. like yeah. the, the word incarnation kind of expanded beyond the bounds of Jesus. Like Jesus was no longer like a transaction, but it was a revelation about all of reality. Yeah. You know, God was incarnate in this form this 33 year old manly form and also like god was incarnate in me yeah and incarnate in this transgender woman and pretty soon like all of creation (laughs) yeah yeah and jason jason likes to talk about this as well but once you lose the us and them or the insider outsider thinking and you begin to recognize no no the way i see it more is either asleep or awake and mm-hmm. we're all awakening to greater levels of awareness, consciousness of the fact that number one, God is love and we are, we are swimming in an environment of love and we can find it everywhere. I mean, I get pushed mm-hmm. back on this from some people. It's like, Oh, it's pantheism. You know, God is the tree. It's like, yeah, no, that's not what I'm talking about. It's, it's that this incarnation is also happening within me and around mm-hmm. me. And when you begin to open your eyes to, for me, what broke through was the revelation that God is love and perfected love casts out all fear and that everything Jesus did and said was, was in love, through love, by love. And, you know, Jason and I, I'll let Jason follow up because I know he's got something, but you know, we, the more dogmatic we get about this message of love, the less dogmatic we can be about forcing it on other people. We have to just sit back and wait and say, you know what? Love is going to find a way to their heart the way that I Mm -hmm. can't by intellectual reasoning, but, but I can at least share from my own experience. And I think that's what I think there's a quote in your book. It's a popular quote quote about that. You know, the church of the future is going to be a church of mystics or there's not going to exist at all. Mm -hmm. Um, I forget who that's attributed to. I'm sorry. I'm a journalist. I'm a journalist. Thank you. I should, yeah. I should attribute sources here, but, um, but yeah, and that's really what we've been, we've been diving into. And that's what I'm finding in your book. And I love that you call it a field guide to us for the spiritual journey. Cause you're, you're breaking down these different concepts and themes and even stories in the Bible and, and bringing life to them, you know, into how they identify this amazing love and, and this amazing God that, you know, we want, to embrace that has embraced us. 
So sorry, Jason, go for it, bro. I know you got, I know you got <laughs> oh, a big question good. there. <laughs> this is my favorite subject. So Me we're... too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same. hundred percent. I love the grace that you, you, you walk in and, uh, the way that you express even on the page as well. Um, the, um, the language that I would have had, um, for me, uh, was, and you're, you, you know, it's so expansive. I've gotten more and more language over the years. Um, you know, eternal life is this moment right now that we're yeah. in, we're participating in eternity now. But I, I actually, from love realized I I'd been living for something for the measure for, for some sort of measurement and suddenly realized this measureless revelation that is love. And I realized that I get to live from that place. And, and then the same thing happened. Uh, it, uh, God began to first focus on the, the, the places where I had thought in the context of measurements in the relationships I had first with my wife and my kids, but eventually, um, and using your language uh, or the, this expansive language, eventually I was realizing I'm seeing Christ everywhere I go. I'm seeing the image and likeness of Jesus in every person I see. And, and I want to get back to this one thing, cause you start the book, I think where there's the where the where the pushback starts if you say there's a castle and there's walls and there's moats they all uh, they all sound like what about sin it's the uh because that's been the consciousness that we've been born into and the con and the thing that's been preached to us and and i love that you're you're able to navigate that as a um, perception of separation mm -hmm. Uh, and the way that you introduce that and, and realize that that's a that's a real thing, but it's 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 um, I, I love the perspective of being uh, at the foot of the cross and then suddenly being one with Christ and seeing from His perspective. This is the piece that that uh, has shifted for us. Um, and we apparently it's a Brene Brown quote, but my wife was saying it long before we ever heard Brene. Uh, say it, but uh, everyone's doing the best they can. Yeah. And and my wife grabbed a hold of that years ago. It was transformative for us. And I learned that 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 if you wanted to find the biblical term for that, it was Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Mm -hmm. And and that those two things flowed. But what they did was they they gave us the freedom and the liberty to then be able to see people in their story, realizing that you know where the eye is healthy, the body is full of light. Where the eye is unhealthy, the body is full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Mm -hmm. So where is the light? It's still within you. Yeah. And so suddenly I was able to go, oh, it's just, it's just your experiences. It's where you've navigated where once upon a time I would have said hell was the rejection of love. And then I would have said hell's the inability to actually perceive and receive love. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so there's so much liberty in that father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Uh, first and foremost for us. Mm-hmm. But then, like you said, because um, the other option is bitterness and anger yeah. and resentment. Uh, and that happens in the church or outside the church, whatever the, the context is that you're living in. So I don't yeah. know if you want to riff on that or. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that that was the foundation of forgiveness for me was realizing, you know, I, I maybe wouldn't act in the same way. Like, Clearly I didn't, you know, I'm like right. the, the ways that I was hurt, I wouldn't do that because I'm me, you know, and I have different coping mechanisms. I, you know, <laughs> I, I coped in other health, unhealthy ways, you right. know, right. that, um, sometimes got applauded or, you know, sometimes just weren't 
noticed or maybe weren't as outwardly destructive, like from a societal perspective, but it was kind of recognizing like an EMDR therapy actually really helped me with this because in that therapy, you kind of like plant yourself in a scene. It's almost, it's a little bit like, um, Lectio Divina, um, where you're, do your listeners know what that is? You're kind of like putting yourself in a scene in the Bible and then, um, sort of interacting with the characters, you know, and, and like letting your imagination kind of lead you. Yeah. So this is what you're sort of doing, but with your real life, um, you know, like real memories that you actually have. Right. And, and as I was kind of able to like, I, I noticed that my imagination was always like leading me to like this graceful truth that I wouldn't have been able to just like think up on my own, but like intuitively it was like my brain wants to heal. And, and then I was like having these revelations, like in this therapeutic context that had a lot of like invited, like imagination and and intuition, you know? And so I was having these little revelations. And one of them that I had was like, Oh, if I were this person that was hurting me, I I would be doing the exact same thing. Like, because this, this was that person, like, there's all these personality, you know, there's a personality, there's different coping mechanisms, there's different ways that we like interpret or hook on to things in our environment. You know what I mean? And, and then kind of going like, oh, this person's nervous system was wildly unregulated for a whole host of reasons that they weren't responsible for. Right. And, and this was like the obvious outcome of it, you know? So sort of, I think that this is really difficult for us to grasp because as humans, if we like devolve enough, we become the cruelest of savages, you know? And I think it's very difficult for people, for us who haven't done anything quote unquote that bad. It's hard to imagine that like we have the capacity to get there. Right. Should should the circumstances be bad enough, you know, or if we were conditioned in that kind of way. So I, a metaphor that I like to use is like a dog being bitten by rabies or something like that. That's, you know, just running around freely. Like, is that dog dangerous and does it need to be put down? Yeah, probably. Right. Is it, is that a bad dog? No. You know, like something happened yeah. To it that that yeah. had this very predictable yeah. outcome. Yeah. And yeah. and now like yeah, it's like the judgment kind of just fell away. And so it wasn't like, you know, we don't deal with situations. Like not judging doesn't mean like you just let harm like roll over you. You know what I mean? Like Christ is in here too. Sure. So it's like yeah. I have yeah. to like love and protect myself and I yeah. have to love and protect the people that I'm responsible for and all this. But do, you know, do I look at the people who are doing harm as like inherently evil people? No, it's more like wow, like this force of evil has kind of like overtaken the host, yeah. you yeah. know? I write about it in the in my book but I, the um uh 
in the context of uh, justice, but a, a restorative justice that mm-hmm. um, is has got to has got to operate in the context of eternal life, meaning that that would be a justice that's restoring mm-hmm. uh, and protecting the five year old while addressing the fifty year old and understanding that they're the same person. Yeah, yeah um, and, and I think I think that just that coming back to the concept of father forgive them, they don't know what they're doing is such an amazing extension of grace. And I, I find that, and this, I think Brad Jerzak talks about this, but that, that holiness really is that place, you know, where there's a moment where there's such an extension of grace that it becomes this sacred place. And mm-hmm. I think, I think we can experience those more often yeah. when we have this human affirming attitude where, mm-hmm. Hey, if God affirmed humanity by becoming one of us to rescue all of us, mm-hmm. then I have no business doing anything other than affirming you purely based on the fact that you're a human being. And that's where there's, there's these like holy moments that can happen when the extension of grace takes place. I just did a, um, a wedding ceremony for my neighbor's kid. When we first moved here, she was four years old and my, my daughter was four and they grew up together. Mm-hmm. And they they asked me to do the wedding ceremony, and it was it was a very um, non religious wedding ceremony. Her and I wrote, co wrote the um, ceremony together, but I have to tell you, I experienced more holy moments in that environment of the pure grace and love of God than I have in any you know charismatic service running laps and fallen out. Um, you know, I, I just, I've realized that if this doesn't play out in real life, then, then we've just put it in a religious box and are trying to make people give them coping mechanisms, mechanisms to feel better about themselves. Uh, but yeah. the squeeze that you're talking about of the cocoon mm-hmm. is very real. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we need to help people navigate. Cause I don't, we don't want people just the pendulum is swinging from this side to this side. It's like, well, yeah. you know, I'm a fundamentalist Christian. Now I'm a fundamentalist atheist. And you, you address that in the book. Um, and I, I just love the, the different chapters in this book that become a field guide to navigating many of the stories of the Bible, many of the concepts of the Bible. You bring the Enneagram into it in the um, Carry Your Cross chapter, which I think is brilliant. Um, yeah, I just... We want this podcast to be a place where voices can freely share from their own experience with the hopes of this, that Jesus would be greater, greater. He would be revealed in a greater way because we get to have, we get to have your experience of Jesus yeah. with you. And when we yeah. share that, I just feel like that's, that becomes this, it becomes incarnational. Yeah. It, be, it validates the other person and says, yeah, that's no, good. your experience is real. Yeah. And, um, you know, let's. Let's help navigate that into a space where we we're heading towards a, a compassionate, loving, you know, uh, direction as opposed to a yeah. cynical, angry, you know, retributive. Uh, you're just yeah. you're partnering with the wrong force when you're we're retributive and angry. Yeah. So, well, and I, to I, your... I don't have a question. I just want, <laughs> I just want to talk yeah. about this more. <laughs> well, something that you. Yeah. As you were talking about, um justice and the difference between like restorative and retributive justice or whatever. And this concept of forgiveness is like, I think a lot of times a misunderstanding about forgiveness is like, we, 
we use it as like a bargaining chip, you know, like I'll forgive you if I think it's going to lead to restoration, you know, right. like it's like a means to an end. And, you know, I think something that we see in Jesus is like, you know, he's like hanging on a cross, being murdered, yeah. forgiving. Yeah. He He's already done the yeah. forgiveness, like where he, it's like his love is being emptied out without inhibition. Yeah. And in that moment, it's not like everyone around him is, is suddenly changed. Not all of them are, you know, like the murder is carried out. No yeah. one's like, oh my God, you know, like he, he forgave us and, and now my heart's changed. So like, let's take him down, you know, <laughs> it's yeah. not what happens. And yeah. so like part of this, you know, this concept of restorative justice, I've like, I've been thinking about it a lot in the past few years and I, I haven't totally like fleshed it out, but I think it's, it's like a misunderstanding to, to, to necessarily expect that there's going to be like this complete restoration and like that forgiveness is going to be this like, um, you know, perfect piece of the puzzle that when I think about that sometimes now, like I do feel completely restored, like in my self, like towards some situations, which I've chosen to forgive. And also the relationship is not restored. Like right. it's, yeah. it's not right. what I hoped for it to be. Yeah. It's yeah. not what I hoped would happen afterwards, you know, yeah. where I, th where I felt like, Oh, I have this like love and compassion for this person now. Right. And I'm going to, try to treat them differently and out of that place and, and kind of going like, I just really had to let all my expectations for that so relationship yeah. die, you yeah. know? And, so and sort of with the expectation that like, I don't think maybe like on this side of my life that yeah. I'm, that that person is ever going to be able to like receive my spirit because there is like, you know, their free will too, where it's yeah. like, can they yeah. receive like the love and forgiveness that I feel? Maybe not, yeah. you know, where, yeah. you know, if they were to, to receive it, like perhaps that would trigger things in them that they're not like ready to deal with yet. So anyways, <laughs> all that to say is like, I think that this is first primarily an inside job where yeah. like you experience like that restorative justice in you without necessarily like the external environment, like mirroring what I think we're kind of conditioned for it to, to me, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, well, if, if it's restorative justice, then that person says, sorry. And like, right. Repays all the debt or whatever. And it's like, in my experience, forgiveness was like, there is no debt. Like it's wiped out. Yeah. It happened. Like, and I, I'm just moving on now, you know? Oh, good. So, but yeah, but then like after Jesus, die is like that that spirit of love is then poured out you know yeah. and and people who are like able to be open enough and receive it are transformed and changed just by like his spirit essentially being like set free through the death of his bodily form we have a saying that i use a lot that family or love is the long game mm -hmm. and um I love that Father Forgive Them. Um, I believe that was before the foundations of the earth. I mean, mm -hmm. everything Jesus did, he did in that spirit. When he's flipping tables, he's as much mm -hmm. Father Forgive Them for the person on the other side of the table. It's, it, it's the very nature of love, which then, of course, 
lead you to this um, conversation, which is what we talked about at the front end that got me in trouble several years ago. But but the idea that um, all this time um, I've placed time itself as my God in the mm-hmm. gospel, as opposed to love being before and after. And then you start going, well, the restoration of all things doesn't have to fit within the constraints of of a of a ticking clock um and that uh and that maybe maybe um love uh love has the capacity to restore on in the next life and if, mm-hmm. if, and so i love what you're sh- sharing them because suddenly that that changes the dynamics of first of all my expectation uh, father forgive them and not what they do uh, uh i mean like you said they sure seem like they knew what they were doing mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's something so profound there. Uh, and then the idea that it's the long game, yeah. uh, that uh, we're not in a, that eternal life is not a, a finite conversation, but you're in the long game and not even, not just after you die, you're thinking generationally. Yeah. The, the long game of love is a generationally deep game. It's, it's uh, and so suddenly you can begin to get your heart around, if not your head around the reconciliation or the restoration of all things. Right. And that that's a that doesn't idea. require that God be in control in the way that we define control. Yeah. Um, in fact, I, w- I would say it clearly, God's, God's <laughs> not in control in the way we define control, but love will have the final say. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. what, when that happens, how long that takes, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah. In the end, love will win. And, um, you know, I think that's what it looks like for every person. We get the opportunity to embrace that incarnational living and uh, extend the the awareness of the love and awareness of the grace that we've received. And, and when we do extend that, that's mm-hmm. holiness. That's yeah. a holy moment. And that's holiness good. is not a moral, you know, do good type of thing. It, it's It's an extension of grace to the other that uh, allows for the transfer of love that can melt any heart. And and the Holy Spirit knows how to reach every person. We don't have to have, you know, the Romans road or the evangelistic track. I got into it with a guy the other day. He was like, does anyone else have a memory of like a giant movie screen that's going to play out your whole life, you know, in heaven, and then you're going to be kicked into the eternal flames. And it was from a chick track, you know, remember those chick tracks? This was your life. I actually looked it up. You can still buy these things. And everybody was like, yeah, that had so much trauma for me at youth camp because I, my whole (laughs) life is going to be projected. Um, I think these things that as we, you know, as we like children, let them go away to become more childlike in our concepts of loving and treating people with compassion and grace. Um, I, I just, to me, that's, that's the end game as well. You know, if I know, I know I'm going to die. I know I have a, a time period on this earth, but death now just becomes that, that transfer into that womb, into the, the greater consciousness of this love that loves me so much. And then, um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't uh, restrict evangelism. It just changes it to loving people well. Yeah. Um, my daughter, yeah. when she was four years old, had made made this statement. She just said, "And love everyone the most." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "That's it. That's that's the whole thing right there." And you yeah. can't love neighbor 
until you have received and understood the kind of love that God has for you. And that's why yeah. it's so important to, you know, put all your eggs in, in one basket. A hundred percent of my faith seed is planted in a father's heart that loves me tremendously. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I just, your, your book, I think is something that I would recommend everybody that listens to our podcast, go and get a copy of this book because it is going to reframe a lot of maybe those stories you grew up with in the church, like Jonah, uh, like the prodigal son and reframe it in a way that brings, not just, doesn't just bring Jesus into the picture. It, you're reading it and seeing it. I think the way Jesus sees it, because that, that's who, that's who you're becoming like. We are becoming like this amazing, you know, this amazing love that loved us so much. So Heather, thank you. I mean, yeah. this is great. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, thank you guys. On. We might need a part two on this one. <laughs> yeah, let's have a part two. Yeah, it but... <laughs> is funny that your point about like evangelism, um, because I was thinking as you were saying that something about um, like having that mystical experience, I kind of started seeking out similar stories because at first I was like, oh my God, I'm like the only person I know <laughs> right. who is thinking like this or whatever. And I came across so many like near death experiences, which I felt really encouraged by because there were so many there's like youtube now has so many stories like this out there where people who are like christians and then atheists like i remember one guy was like i died and like experienced this profound love like just this yeah. all-consuming love and peace and uh, i was like laughing at this guy because he's like i don't even believe any of this <laughs> like, why am i here <laughs> right and so um it was it's almost just like yeah, like we're all going to wake up to that. And that to me is like the really good news. And even the people who had, you know, who have near death experiences, and it's more like a hellish thing. I, I kind of equate it to what I experienced where I'm like, yeah, you experience the, your own internal fear and terror and what's kind of like living with you. And then like, you come back like to deal with it. And like most in almost all of them, it's like this overwhelmingly positive experience. And that gives me a lot of hope. And then evangelism just kind of comes down to like, like you said, Jason, like this is my favorite thing to talk about. Like every time I'm talking about it, like all the vitality of my life energy just gets like turned on. And I'm like, <laughs> You know, all this time growing up in church where it's like you have evangel, you have to, you know, you got to tell people about, G like, I just loathed it. I think I right. talked about in the book, like I would just like slip tracks into people's lockers <laughs> anonymously. Yeah, you had to do it because yeah. they were going to hell. You got to save them. But like, I hated it. It was so embarrassing. And now, like with this, I'm like, I love talking about this. Yeah. And and there's yeah. something I think that is attractive about it sometimes, like for people who are sort of attuned to it. And I'm like, that feels more like the heart of evangelism is yeah. when you just see someone who is like, uh, lighting up on all, you know, all cylinders are going <laughs> right. and you're like, yeah. I would like to live like that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I love yeah. it. Yeah. Did, hey, don't forget, it. don't forget the part that you have to convince them that they're sinners, you know, Romans three twenty three. Yeah. it's the A, <laughs> yeah. it's the A in the alphabet letter the you learn when you're a kid, yeah. all I just have sinned to... and fall short. So I they're, they're already quite awake to sin. Actually, they, <laughs> we, we don't need to make anyone aware of that. I had to I had to pass Bible college, so I had to do tracks to get my evangelism class. I got yeah. to, 
at least do it once. So yeah. that was fun. But yeah. um, <laughs> we've had you. We've, we, I know you have to go pick up your kids soon, so we haven't talked tacos yet. So Okay, yeah. Uh, I have. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, I was like, taco story, taco story. It is actually like a fajita story, but I right. figure that's like close enough. So, all right. This was like early on when I was married. So, of course, I like had like a good relationship with my in-laws. But like, you know, the first couple of years, like you're still warming up to each other and, right. and everything, you know. So they were like in town and we were at Papacitos, which is like this amazing restaurant that they have. I know they have them in Texas and they have some in Atlanta. Like if y'all are ever down here, uh -huh. we have to go. Okay. So good. But so we were there with my in-laws and my mom was with us. And this place is like, it was probably a Friday or Saturday night. It's like the best fajitas in town. They have this mariachi band going. So it's just like loud and chaotic and very Latin, you know, like, <laughs> just like you're at this restaurant party. And I just like got the worst migraine suddenly at the table. Like I was like seeing like the little aura oh, yeah. and everything. And yeah. I was just like going downhill really fast. And they had just like brought out all the food in these warm fajitas. And my mom was like sitting next to me and she was just like, Heather, just put this warm tortilla on your face and it will help. <laughs> and it will help your migraine. And I was like, mom, no, I'm not going to do that. And then like it, she persisted like for the rest of the meal, trying to talk me into putting a warm tortilla on my face. And it was all like in front of my in-laws and everything. So I'm like descending into this just like dizziness, you know, I can't see and my head hurts so bad. And like I had to spend the rest of the meal like trying to swat away like warm tortillas from right. my face. You're like, mom, mom, please, please. <laughs> Please no more warm tortillas, but like, yeah, that's just kind of like the epitome, epitome of her. I think for her, it started out as like, as trying to be helpful and then turned into like this joke, which is sort of the epitome of her humor, uh -huh. which you either like love it or it drives you crazy. But right. like, that is my mother. Yeah. And yeah, that was like the thing that stood out in my head where I was like, <laughs> Yeah, warm uh, tortilla on my face. Well, to that, cure that's my another first um, where yeah, we don't get sure. an actual taco story where you eat one, but where you actually are going to become one. The threat <laughs> of becoming <laughs> a taco. Incarnation. <laughs> yeah. Human taco. Incarnate in a taco. I, I got to say, every time I eat up some tortillas, I'm going to put a warm one on my face. Just to, you know, <laughs> tell, me, tell me how it feels. Now that's stuck in my head. <laughs> Oh man. Anyway, we can work in the incarnation though. That's, oh my God. that's how you do it. So yes, I love that. Um, this, uh, this is like, uh, Derek said, I think we could, we could probably do this longer and we barely scratched the surface. Uh, you really do, uh, take us through a field guide. I love that title too. And I love your writing style. Um, uh, incredible writer as well. So thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we highly, highly recommend, recommend people. Where, where do we find any of your book? Oh, okay. So I have um, a website called returningtoeden.com. Um, you can, you know, it has links to the book there. And I have a newsletter called Unorthodox. It's just once a month that I send out. Um, so you can find it there. And then, of course, it's on Amazon or, you know, wherever you buy your books. You can ask your local bookstore to order it or wherever. So. All right. 
I bet yeah. you unorthodox is actually pretty orthodox in some ways. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it, yeah, it's unorthodox with a question mark at the end, yeah. like oh, a, like that. a Ron Burgundy, like unorthodox. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Oh, I like it. Love That's it. Yeah. Through all the way. Heather, That's thanks amazing. so much for, for coming on. I know this is going to be a great um, listen for our, our listeners. And yeah. uh, we really appreciate what you're doing um opening people's eyes and we jason i have a theory that when you kind of come through these things it's almost like you're you're a mag you've been magnetized and secretly you're going to be drawn to other voices and people mm -hmm. that are like yeah. okay i'm not crazy um, yeah yeah. yeah so that's been um, my experience yeah we feel yeah. like this is one of those one of those magnetic connections and we really appreciate it yeah, absolutely yeah awesome well thank you guys i really appreciate you having me Hey guys, so glad you joined us on Rethinking God with Tacos. You can find me, Jason Clark, online at afamilystory.org, where I encourage you to sign up on our mailing list. We send out an email twice a month letting you know about new podcasts, articles, and new books or products that we have coming out. Plus, occasionally I'll keep you up on my schedule where I'm traveling. My Twitter handle is at Jason Clark is I'm on Instagram under the same handle and you can find me on Facebook as well. Yeah. And my name is Derek Turner, Jason, and I love that you're listening to us. Thank you for all your feedback. Please write in, let us know what's going on in your life. But, uh, we are pursuing a mission to help people rethink God. And we thank you for being a part of it. Uh, you can find me at, Pastor Derek T on all the socials. And then, of course, I pastor a church here in Charlotte, North Carolina called River Church, rivercharlotte.com. Come and join us. We'd love to have you. Hey, all of these podcasts are available on all the platforms iTunes, Spotify, Google. Yeah. Hey, make sure and like, share, and throw a review out there. Let people know. We love good reviews on the podcast that helps people find us. That's right. So if this is a podcast that you enjoy, <laughs> then please promote it, share it, give it a good five-star rating. I like that. That's a good idea. Hey, love doing this journey with you. Praying grace and wonder over you today. <laughs>